everyone. We are back. We are recording on a Thursday this week, which means it is almost the weekend. And it's also our 10th episode, a little mini milestone, which is huge. We've been doing this for 10 weeks. Feels like a really long time. So go us. And today to help us celebrate this uh, milestone event, we are super excited for you all to listen in to our conversation with our first male ally who is joining us on the podcast, Frank Bach. Our first male. Oh my gosh, scary. <laughs> here I am. Here I am. Ah! <laughs> I feel like I'm not supposed to be here. Yeah, to, to prove no boys allowed. <laughs> Knock the sign off the door and just, just waltz right in. Frank, so I, I want to give him his proper introduction. So Frank is a product designer who also works at Headspace with us in LA and He's originally from Canada. He found a digital agency with his wife actually before moving to the US. So we're going to talk to him about that. And he recently became a new dad. So a dad to a baby girl, especially. So we're going to be talking about how that has kind of shaped how he feels about being a male ally and um, the world that his daughter is entering into. So welcome, Frank. Thank you so much for having me. It's really good to be here. Obviously a, a fan of the show since episode one and uh You've made it into my my morning coffee listening routine. So great work. I love that. Well, we have so much great content to get to. Let's dive right in. I want to hear from you first about what it means to you really to be a male ally in the workplace and how it shapes your whole workflow and your interactions with your coworkers and everything under the sun. Yeah, well, I think the word ally is a tricky one. It's like one of those things you're like not supposed to call yourself one. Like someone else should should maybe see you that way. So that's an honor that you would you would think of me that way. It's great. We've worked together in the past, so it feels nice. Um, how it affects how I carry myself at work. I think trying not to put myself first in a situation, like not trying to be the loudest voice in the room, giving some space in a meeting for someone else to speak or if I'm if I see somebody got cut off while they were saying something, I'll try to be the person who sort of like has the the privilege in a in a sense to like redirect that so that you know everyone can have a can have a voice and everybody can be can feel like welcomed or or listened to. Try to call out some moments and things that come to mind are like maybe we were we were hiring somebody for our API team. And you know, for some reason you just kept hearing this term of we, we're going to need an API guy. We're going to need an API guy. And, you know, just being the person to call that out, it's like, there's a good chance it's not an API guy. It could be an API woman, not necessarily going to be a male in that position. Another example that comes to mind was at one point, one of our teams didn't have a PM. And during a, a daily standup, the question came up of, well, like, are we interviewing people? And when would he start? And for me, it just like, oh, it, it makes me cringe. and. I just really push myself to always be the person to, you know, call that out, try to do it in a playful way. Cause I don't want to make anybody feel bad, but, you know, just try to try to do that. And it's so far it's gone over pretty well. Not only, I mean, the, the theme on of, of this show is obviously from like a woman's perspective, but anybody really who, who might be like underrepresented or maybe not have as much of the privileges that I've got or the like comfort level that I have existing at work and bringing my hundred percent true self. Just being conscious of that, I think it's like self-awareness creates like a more of an awareness for for others as well. So yeah, that's that's how I try to carry myself. But I don't know, it might be a better question for you two since you've both worked <laughs> with me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely what you're saying about not being the loudest in the room. Like I feel like you are this like calm presence that takes in what people are saying. I mean, I'm usually like the first one to speak. So and now we're not on the same team anymore, but I think I do that because I'm like so conscious of getting interrupted or like not getting my point across. So I'll do that. But I feel like you are always like sitting there just right. nodding along, like taking it in. And then like you hit us with the wisdom at the end. You kind of like compile everything that everyone said and like concisely sum it up and then like offer your kind of wisdom. <laughs> There's never any time where I'm like, oh, wow, Frank really wants to hear himself talk or like he really just wanted to get that point across, you know, and there are definitely those people where you're like, okay, here we go for 10 minutes of like hearing this one person talk. I hope people don't think that about me because I definitely do that sometimes. But um, 
<laughs> it's not because I want to hear myself talk. Being like a cis straight white guy in the office, I think you actively have to do certain things. Like you actively have to not do your, like what first comes to mind probably. You may have to filter yourself in a different way, the opposite yeah. way, like consciously than we do. Yeah. 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 Like, like knowing that the world's been sort of carved out for you to succeed in and thrive in. And like, there's like, there's definitely a level of guilt attached to it, but also if I'm going to have that, then I want to try my best to share that experience, bring other people along as well. And like, not just kind of keep it all for me. Again, also comes in the shape of shouting people out on the company Slack. You know, like if I know a certain person has worked on a project and maybe they were like, in a smaller role, but they, you know, they had a, a bigger impact and they're not necessarily being acknowledged, like really trying to, trying to be the voice that highlights them. Would you say that there was a point in your career trajectory where you sort of started to develop that level of awareness where you are acknowledging, okay, I have, I acknowledge that I have certain privileges that have just been sort of handed to me, how can I use that to help lift up others around me who are not in the same boat? Yeah, I think I've lived life on easy mode for a lot. When you're young and you're, I don't know, um, there are things that have happened for me that I noticed maybe not don't come as easy for others. For example, I would not be super nervous to go on the job hunt. I would feel pretty confident that three, four weeks, I could come back with a handful of offers. I don't think everyone feels that way. And that's just an example of how like the the world has been shaped for for somebody, uh, for some people that kind of better than others. I would say like probably meditation was one of those pieces of like the self awareness aspect. Someone made a comment to me a long long time ago that I that I was like speaking too much of what was on my mind. If that makes sense, like I like I didn't think before I spoke, or like I didn't filter what I was thinking and then saying. It just sort of came out, and I think now I've built up the muscle a little bit of, oh, you don't need to speak every thought that you have. You can process it internally a little bit and figure out what's the best way to deliver that message. And people tend to, to appreciate it. And then also the like noticing certain advantages for sure. Like you mentioned that me and my wife founded an agency back in Canada and we did, and we ran that for about seven years. And, you know, one of the reasons we, we stopped doing it was because we were both totally burnt out, overworked and doing way too much. And part of like the doing way too much part was we would actually sometimes overlap on each other's emails. So sometimes if I was out doing like a sales pitch or a creative presentation or something, she would jump into my email and respond for me. And, you know, we're a couple who've been together for so long. There was that trust. You can speak for me and vice versa. And one big indicator of that was me seeing that when she would pretty much say the same thing from her email that she would from my email, uh, our clients at the time, some of them responded quite differently. If it was like me, Frank, the, the guy sort of seen as like the owner of the business, and we were both 50-50 owners of it, would get a lot more respect and like emails responded to in a more timely way, uh, much more like affirmative in their responses. Uh, much more willing to jump on calls. And we definitely saw that for her, it wasn't always the case. It would sometimes responses in emails would come with a little bit of attitude. People would sometimes take days and days and days to reply or just like not get her, you know, the, the files or the assets that she needed or something. That for me was like, holy shit, I like almost saw an A-B test in what it's like to exist in the world, like as close as you could kind of get. And that wasn't like intentional, but definitely opened my eyes to, to the different realities. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you kind of did a real life example of that. There was actually a test done. I think we may have brought it up before, but where a woman changed her email signature to be like a man and vice versa and was experiencing exactly what your wife was experiencing. Um, just like more favorable responses, less questioning, less, you know, back and forth, just fewer back and forth exchanges. So yeah, I think it's something we definitely deal with. And I'm surprised, I guess, to me, the design world from my experience has been more equal, like um, female, male, kind of more than like software engineering I've seen. So it surprises me a little bit, but maybe I've just seen a, a bias sample. Were there times when you would have to like send a follow-up email if someone like a client wasn't or someone you were working with wouldn't respond? 
yeah, there, there were times, there were times where maybe I was leading a project and I needed to jump off of it. And I would let the client know like, Hey, listen, like she's going to run with this from here on out. And like, we'll take over. You're in good hands. We'll catch up in a couple of weeks. And sometimes they would not even respect that. They would just like take her off the CC and just respond straight to me. And it was kind of like, what is going on? Like, this just feels so wrong and so disrespectful. And even it's even to the point where, you know, we've talked about doing this again, I think in, in the future, we wouldn't mind starting up our own thing, you know, not anytime soon, but we definitely have those, those ambitions. And we have talked about like roles and responsibilities and that like, we do not want to push a boulder uphill. So it would probably just make myself the, uh, the point of contact all the time and, and have her uh, work kind of behind the scenes, which also she, pre- would, she prefers to work behind the scenes. Uh, you know, a day of Zoom calls is not my wife's uh, favorite way to spend the day. So, you know, it's kind of like what your, your natural inclinations are. So thankfully it works, it works out, but um, yeah, no, I wouldn't, wouldn't want to put her through that again. That's like a great example of being an ally. I mean, obviously it's your wife, so you're going to do that, but, um, <laughs> but um, I gotta be, you know, yeah. it's like, especially when women take point on communications or kind of more like administrative tasks, I think they can be treated mm-hmm. like less than. Um, even if you're, you're literally the one doing the work, like if you're doing most of the correspondence, you can be treated just like as someone's secretary, which right. obviously is a respectable job, but like, not if that's not what your job is, that's a great way f- for you to just take that like mental, emotional load off of her plate. So she can just focus on the work. And I think that's all we want to, yeah. that's all we want. Like, we don't want to have to focus on all this like BS that surrounds our work. We just want to be, be free to do yeah. the work. Cause I think that's what honestly contributes to burnout more than the work itself. If we were just free to do the work, it would be totally fine. But it's like everything that surrounds it and the emotions and the, the thought and the cognitive overload that goes in with everything that doesn't have to do with the work. It's true. It's such an energy drain to have to be thinking about things and reacting to those things and be thinking like, Oh, someone suggested you know, a meeting about this with stakeholders, I guess, should I be the one to schedule that meeting? Like, I, I guess I'm going to, cause no one else is doing it. So I guess everyone just assumes that I'll do it. So I'll do it and then prepare for it. And yeah. You know. The, uh, the expectation like, Hey, Monica, did you take notes? Yeah. <laughs> Never ask me to take notes. I'm so, I'm so bad at that. Like even in school, I just, my mind is like out the door. Luckily that stuff hasn't happened to me. It's more of like when we're being shouted out for doing a project, it's always like my male counterpart that like gets the credit or, or gets all the questions asked to him. Kind of like the reverse of your, you and your wife. It's like, he's the go-to person. I mean, I guess it's the same thing. And sometimes I'm like, fine, I don't want to answer those questions anyway, whatever, just like your wife. But it, it sucks to not be like, to never be the go-to person, like to always kind of be the secondary and just assumed that, like he's good. He's the one that's going to have yeah. the, the answers fastest. Yeah. And it speaks to like the importance of titles. You know, if you hear people say things like, oh, titles aren't important, like probably a white dude saying that. Cause like, yeah, like titles, not that important to you. Cause you walk into a room and people respect it, or they, they look at you for the answers or whatnot. But like when it comes to figuring out who, who you should speak to in a company or on a project, sometimes you do pull out the, the org chart and actually look at, oh, okay, this person is the lead of, of this team. So, okay, I should speak to this person. And you're not, not just making assumptions based on, uh, based on gender, but yeah, totally, totally get that. That's, it's one of those things that people, people do without realizing that they do. It's not like those people had, had a bad intent, but it's, it just speaks to like how important it is to challenge yourself all the time. Make sure that you're fighting your, your biases, I guess. Can you talk about what you just said? It totally sums it up. And what I keep saying is most men are not malicious guys trying to be mean and trying to go to mm. work and bulldoze people like what the, you know, they're, they're really not, they're just like doing their own work just like we are. But what you, what you just said was like, yeah. you need to consciously be thinking about it all the time. And when you're a white male, you don't, since you don't have to consciously mm. think about those things, you're just likely not. And so you're likely a perpetrator of some yeah. of these actions. Can you talk about how you, I don't know if it's a thought process or something that goes through your mind, or maybe it's thinking a little bit before you speak, but how do you, how have you come to that place? Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's it. The thinking before you speak, thinking before you act, like give yourself a little bit of padding between writing that email or, or, and sometimes you miss opportunities when you do that. Like I have, I have heard from, from people before when I'm doing like 360 feedback sessions where somebody might say like, Frank, I don't think you're, you're opinionated enough. I think you're just used to guys in the workplace, like having the opinion, you know, and they just, they act like they know exactly what needs to be done or whatever it is. I think there's a level of like being okay saying you don't know or comfort in saying I can find that answer out for you in a little bit. Having that approach helps you not one, like not feel the pressure to have the answer all the time because who does? Nope, nobody does. Unless it's like a really repeated thing where you just like don't have an answer or an opinion on anything ever, then that's a different problem. Yeah, you're so right. I feel like I try to be opinionated, so I'm taken seriously, or like I have an answer, so I'm taken seriously. But I definitely need to take a page out of your book of like thinking before I speak because I speak. And and sometimes I feel like I'm like, that's just who I am. Like I want to be my authentic self at work. But I think you're right. I think sometimes you can definitely benefit or the whole the whole group can benefit from like everyone just taking a pause. It's, I think also just being aware of I, the fact that you're aware that you're like that is is really great. And you mentioned earlier about some people just love to hear their own voices. We all love to hear ourselves speak, you know, like it's a fun part of life. I listen to this podcast and I'm like, wow, I love my voice. <laughs> totally. I'm serious. I'm serious. I'm like, wow, I sound amazing. No, it's great. And you, and you do, and you both do. And the knowing that about yourself is, is great. And actually acknowledging it helps you to kind of see the other side, helps you uh, be more conscious of, okay, I don't need to like, you know, maybe I, I, I spoke three times in the last five minutes in this meeting. Maybe I can leave room for other people to contribute. Yeah, I think it would, it it feels unrealistic to assume that we can all just like dissolve our egos and walk through life without one. What seems more achievable, still difficult, but more achievable is to constantly be acknowledging that it is there and it wants you to speak and challenging that and saying, no, we're yeah. We're okay. Yeah. That ego Chill wants down. to be fed nonstop. Yep. Yeah. Yes. Oh my God. That's brilliant. It's hard because then when you're like that though, and this will happen to me, people will be like, Taylor, you're quiet. Like the one day I'm trying to be, yeah. and I'm like, okay, well now if you're asking me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've, I've noticed in, in a lot of meetings, people will actively try to take like a 10 second pause before or count or count to 10 to, to open up the space for other people, which I also have found to be really, really helpful. That's one, especially in, in a like zoom situation, it's kind of tough. Cause you don't know, like no one will say anything at all. And then sometimes you feel that pressure to like, all oh, right, I gotta, I gotta say something. This is getting way too awkward. Yeah. That's me too. Just trying to fill the silence. Yeah. Especially people don't have their cameras on and just like, yeah. is anyone, is anyone there? Yeah. <laughs> Hello. That's what I always say about like being a leader in a company is you got to kind of be ready, ready to speak, either have an opinion or like acknowledge that you don't have an opinion yet, but like be ready to speak, uh, but also be ready to like not speak. You got to know when is the time, when is the time to let other people shine and that it's not, you know, work, workplace can be like so performative. Sometimes I think just like seeing that and seeing it in yourself too, like just the ways that people hype up the chat on zoom. Sometimes you can kind of see like, Oh, that looks like, like, I don't know if that person is being totally authentic in the way that they're speaking (laughs) or like seeing the way people behave when certain other people are in the room. Mm -hmm. We all do it. We all do. Oh my God. um, Knowing it, acknowledging it totally. I think it's helpful. Yeah. I have a hard time with the performance because it, to me, it's really obvious when it's happening or any kind of fake um, enthusiasm or positivity, stuff like that. I just cannot handle really rubs me the wrong way. Yeah. Yeah, I love, I love the positive. I'm a positive person, but the quick slide into toxic positivity is really, it's no, it's no good. Just like you could be in a really, a really bad situation, but, or like you might be telling your manager that you're you're feeling a certain way and it, it might sound negative but they the response is like to try to just like hype you up more and like make you feel more positive about it or like gaslight you that like that's not actually happening and things are actually great 
I would put that in the toxic positivity category, which is actually really negative because I think people feel less, less heard. That happened to me once a few years and a few managers ago where I think I was saying or explaining how I was keeping all of my sort of kudos from team members bonusly and like Slack messages and whatnot in a folder on my computer and just kind of collecting it to build my case for uh, for promotion or for raise or bonus. And the response was, oh, well, you shouldn't, you shouldn't have to do that. You'll just be, you'll be recognized for your contributions. Like, and that just wasn't, and it was, it was also just like dismissive, you know, and I, and I understand, you know, it can be a very uncomfortable conversation to have instead to say something like, why do you feel like you have to do that? Like, why are you hoarding all of these accolades? And the reason, of course, was because it's like they're only given in like a one-to-one setting. Like I've never been publicly yeah. acknowledged. Yeah, we got to You got to you got to do these things. You got to build up the build up the case, build up the the portfolio, so that when it comes time to, to getting that performance review, you have stuff to point at, and you you got the receipts. You know, you can show. Yeah, I did this. I did that. Maybe I was not the most visible in a day-to-day like loudest person in the room setting but like i have had impact i have like represented uh my team or my role in in like all of these ways so yeah i think that's smart i i mean i do the same i've got friends who who are in similar roles as mine and i think men tend to talk about salaries like really quickly and openly we'll we'll get into five minutes over drinks and people are soon talking about bonuses and promotions and all that. Super interesting. And, um, Taylor and I do that, but we thought we were the only people. Yeah, you know, it's good. You should have that like that close network of people. That I've got friends who who are in the same role who I'll be talking to about like, yeah, I was fighting for like for this promotion and like I want to I want to get promoted to this or that like within six months. I've I have heard like from other guys. Oh, I don't even. I don't even ask about promotions. They just keep promoting me every year. And it's like, whoa, that, you know, that's, that's not a world I know yet. Sounds great. Yeah. I think it's really important to talk about salaries. We, I feel like we bring this up every episode just because women never talk about money and you got to know where you stand and like what your, what your trajectory can look like. Yeah. I mean, it, it goes back a lot to what we were talking about last week with Natalie too, in order to advocate for yourself it's important also to know what those, you know, bands and baselines are and what the industry standard is, you know, what your qualifications and what you're capable of. Well, yeah. And like, speaking of being a male ally, a really great thing for a male ally to do is to share your salary with your female coworker. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's a great move. Um, it's tough to find the moment in a conversation that is comfortable. It's not a great opener. <laughs> <laughs> you know? um, something I've done in the past is like share some of the resources that I have found. So I don't know if they're they're as widely shared. And also like hint that I'm comfortable talking about these things if you ever want to. And um, and try to have it kind of a recurring conversation, a recurring theme in a conversation. The discrepancies are huge or they can be huge. That, that's totally, I think, a, an ally move. Yeah. And one of my mentors who's male will be like, right, you know, around the cycle where people get promotions will be like, Hey, did you have your talk? Like you want to catch up on mm-hmm. if you feel like comfortable where you're at or, you know, are you satisfied with what you got? Like, let's talk about it. And it's just really helpful. And it's just so helpful to know where those, where everyone else stands yeah. and and how you kind of stack up. And sometimes the guys know, like it's a window into also what other people make. So you can start to piece together like a web of what the landscape actually looks like that you may not be privy to otherwise. Yeah. And it's tough because a lot of the resources online that are like very public only highlight major, major big tech companies. And those can be not totally realistic for maybe like somebody who's in a startup or at an agency. So that's something for sure to keep in mind. And then like, opening people's eyes to the different pieces of a negotiation in, in salary and comp is like, you know, the, the equity and the uh, sign-on bonuses and things like that. Like, you know, I had no idea that some people were getting bonuses for joining companies. What are you an, are you an athlete? This is wild. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> Michael Jordan joining your, t- joining in, uh, <laughs> 
the Washington Wizards getting a signing on bonus. It's <laughs> 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 so wild. But now, okay, I guess that's a new that's new information to me. I guess I can use that in my uh, my future negotiations. And then when you really think about it, you're like, oh yeah, I guess like some companies pay pretty big recruiting bonuses internally. So that means that means oh, yeah. they're prepared to pay that for almost every role that comes in. And so as a new person joining any company, why not make yourself the person who gets your own recruiting bonus? That's so true. I actually just, I just sort of have, have a memory of uh, one of my male coworkers saying, I think that we were talking about salary and, and he was basically like, I mean, I would work here for free. Like we have this amazing mission. We get to come here every day. And I was just like, he's a white male. And I was just like, okay. Um, I mean, that's not how I feel, but like, it was kind of like a gaslighty thing trying to talk about where I, you know, where I should be falling. And it was like, why, you know, why do we have to talk about money? Like we're, we're so lucky to be working here. And I was just like, huh? (laughs) Yeah. It's like, so it's nice and all to like say that, but are you working here for free? Like, no, you're not. You're probably getting paid pretty well to be working. You're making more than me. Totally. Totally. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you can see right through that stuff. Like, okay, where, where are you volunteering on the weekends then? If, if you're just so willing to work at a, at a feel, in a feel good company or organization, you know, like that, no, that's not a thing. That's, that's a ridiculous thing to say. I want to pivot a little bit into dad life. Cause I can imagine that that is probably just as much, yeah. if not more consuming for you right now than work life. And one thing that we got to talk about is you going viral on LinkedIn of all places. <laughs> yeah. You posted a picture of yourself with your baby girl and it, it blew up the internet. So wanted to hear your opinion of you know, why you think that was so well received? Do you, did you already have like a really big LinkedIn network? And also probing question, do you think had your wife posted that picture, would she have gotten the same reaction? <laughs> yeah, I'm just pulling up the link right now. So it's got almost 14 million oh views, my God. close to 300,000 likes. <laughs> That's insane. Uh, but the, the comments section is where it really wow. goes down is, is there's about 6,000 comments on there. And yeah, I think like what for for one yeah i i never really oh my gosh and can you can you describe the photo just for oh, sure. our, our audio listeners who haven't seen it like it, is this a photo of you doing something crazy with <laughs> no, your daughter total, or like you know, what, it's totally what's normal going on? everyday stuff so you know we've all been working from home and we've gone through this this pregnancy uh during covid and had a baby and she's five months old now and you know i, I was thankfully on on paternity leave for four months out of that and that was really great to have that time to spend with her. Um, and then the back to work thing came up, you know, I got to figure out how do I balance these things and don't want to burden my wife with, with taking care of the baby. Cause as we know, that's the, that's a big like, emotional labor thing that so many women go through and the just expectation that, you know, your husband will just pay for everything and he's emotionally checked out and, uh, you just keep doing the mom stuff and, and everyone has a midlife crisis at one point and then get divorced and it's over. <laughs> And uh, yeah, no, it's just me and my daughter. I, I had her just sitting, just sitting on my lap while I was like browsing the internet, or maybe I was, I was on a Zoom meeting or something. One of, one of our coworkers uh, at Headspace, I think, was really surprised to see me bring her, bring her in. And we're both wearing like not intentionally little matching black outfits, so she maybe looked like she was a little cute art director kid or something. And she, her eyes were just so focused on the screen. And I think because she. Well, she has piercing blue eyes, which is crazy. I think her being very cute played played into it, and uh, that she's paying so much attention to the screen. You know, she hasn't seen a lot of people because we've been quarantined, so her exposure to the world is largely through screens. And yeah, I just wrote a, a short story around how someone on on the team, you know, everyone had their sort of like, oh, cute, a baby, and someone said, oh, it's so easy to forget that. Uh, behind the, the projects we're working on, we're all just people trying to live our lives. The fact that we're often trying to hide what else is going on in the in the room, in the house, trying to make this house thing look like a professional office. Like I've just said like no to that a long time ago. Anyway, the post was that story basically. And, you know, combined with the cute baby, it just took off. 
And like, yeah, I don't think it would have been the same had a, a mom posted the same photo. I think there's a level of, oh, cute, like a dad doing dad stuff or like a dad, I don't know, like doing stuff they don't usually do. I don't know. Like there was something to it that was unexpected for people. And, you know, just me doing a very basic thing, which I do every day, all the time was seen almost like a, a special, like honorable thing to do. Like, oh, what a good dad. No, I'm just like a, I'm just, just like a dad. dad. Like, I'm just, <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is the life I signed up for. I'm sure I, you are I, a good want, dad. <laughs> I am trying to be, yeah, learning every day for sure. Yeah. Then there was a lot of really good conversation in the comments around like some 99% of people were just like really happy and loving it and thought it was so sweet. And I appreciate that. But I also appreciated the other like 1% or so of people who had a little different view of it and were pointing out the, the double standard that, oh, this wouldn't have, I'm annoyed this went viral. You know, this shouldn't have gone viral. Meanwhile, I'm like, I'm kind of excited. Like I'm loving it, obviously, because it's fun to go viral and have something you post get shared and received and people enjoy it. But also seeing like, yeah, you're like kind of right. Like it, in a perfect world where things were more, more equal, it maybe wouldn't have been received that way for whatever reasons. But yeah, that was a fun moment in time. I had to mute the notifications because it's just too much. And now I, I have a never ending list of LinkedIn connection requests that I don't know I'll ever get through. Do you feel like now as a dad, and I'm sure also going through the pregnancy as well, it's a lot of doctors appointments and just a lot of energy being put into that. How has that shifted the sort of boundaries that you set for yourself with work and, and with working from home? Yeah, I've never been great with work and boundaries, but I also know what it feels like to hit burnout. To sum it up, like I think about work a lot, but I limit my hours that I'm actually doing work. So, you know, I will, I have found ways to like, you know, jot down some thoughts I might have had in the evening, or, you know, you have your, those shower thoughts where you somehow cracked the code or like figured out the concept that you were trying to, something you were trying to create. So I'll, instead of, you know, pulling up the laptop and jumping into it right away, I'll like write it down or like send myself a text to <laughs> or put it in my calendar for, you know, for a, a less busy day to, to explore that or to work on a certain project. My desk is in, my desk is like in the same room as the kitchen and uh, dining area. So we're, we're in about a, like a 1200 square foot house. I've been taking meetings outside. I think that works pretty well, especially in, in LA. Thankfully we have a nice little porch and a backyard with some seating. So I'll, I won't be shy to like, just take the laptop out there, take meetings and take calls, give the other people I live with a bit of a break. So they're not just hearing me on calls all day long. I've also got a, we call it like almost like a bamboo wall divider that I'll put behind my desk just because they're, you know, it's a two bedroom house and we're not going to be moving into a three bedroom house. So <laughs> until further notice, my, my desk is in a, in a, in a pretty busy area. Uh, so that's been helping at least like ease the anxiety of like, you know, like my wife's around, around a lot with the baby, obviously. And, you know, like I'm dressed and groomed for work or whatever, you know, and you're, a, you're a mom and you've been nursing all night and you're, you know, you got the baby in one arm and, and milk bottles in the other, she, just to, to give her a little more comfort so she can just be around the house and not, not have to worry so much, but like, are you, is the camera on, is the camera on? So we talk a lot about imposter syndrome, obviously, because that's the theme of the podcast, but we're usually talking to women about it. So I want to hear your experience with imposter syndrome. Have you felt it? And what kind of things do you do if you do feel it to combat it? Yeah, definitely. I think it's like a built-in human thing. I don't know if you'll you'll meet anyone who says they've never felt it. I'd be surprised. Maybe varying Listen degrees. to our episode with Caroline. <laughs> oh, you're right. I did listen to it. Yeah, no, well, she's, she's got tools to combat it. For totally. Sure. Totally. You know, I think, I think moving to the U S seeing how like sure people are and how opinionated, opinionated they are at work. Like that was kind of new to me and like really fighting for yourself and like giving yourself props. Like that was something that was a little tough to get used to. Three things came to mind and I kind of I wrote this out and what, maybe one day I'll write a big medium post about it. And it's about finding your apex and like kind of holding on to that. And what apex stands for in my mind is one, your awareness, 
So that's the A. And then the P is your perspective. And then the X is your experience. And I was going to call it APE, but it sounds kind of funny. Apex sounded more, uh, more appropriate. But yeah, so your Apex. So one, your awareness. You have an awareness of culture, uh, society, uh, the way we have been doing things in this company to date, or the way we did things in companies. Companies I worked at in the past. So there's your awareness. You have that and no one else does, or everyone has their own. Your perspective, uh, you have an opinion and it doesn't have, you know, I think sometimes opinions are right and wrong and they can be both. And, and, you know, until we prove those opinions, whether we're working in experiments or tests or whatever, your perspective is your perspective and you, you bring that and they hired you for a reason because they thought you had a good perspective. So like, don't be shy in sharing that. And then your experience, which is that like you got here somehow and whether that was like you came from a teaching background or maybe you came from a boot camp or maybe you ran a business, like there's something to your story, to your experience that got you here and allowed you to, you know, walk the walk and talk the talk. So I think those three things are all uniquely yours and no one else has that. And Definitely takes some affirmations sometimes to like remind yourself of that stuff. But like, you deserve this. This is, you know, people trusted you to do this. Now, now do it, you know, do it the best you can. And for me, those three things have helped a lot, especially when you're, you're working in teams with a lot of maybe rotation, like maybe every quarter you might have a new team. You start to see the different, all the different things people bring to the table. And just knowing that like what you bring to the project is uniquely yours. and they're, they're lucky to have you there. I love that. I think the biggest part of imposter that gets us is that we don't fit that certain mold and like we are an outsider and your apex idea outlines or highlights your differences are actually what make you a value, like a valuable asset to the company. And I think that's totally true. And I, and I do feel that about myself, but it's just too, it's too overshadowed by the things I feel like I'm not. So highlighting those things really uh, is a great strategy. Yeah. 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 I think when it comes to, to imposter syndrome, thinking back to like stories in my career, in my life that were almost just due to randomness, you applied for this job and you happen to meet this other person for coffee and they know this person who then knows that person. And suddenly you've got a job offer on your hands. There, there's something to that, that you have no control over. And I just find that really interesting that like a lot of things had to go right in your favor, like, and they don't always go right. So don't beat yourself up when that idea you had didn't get off the ground or when you didn't land that job at this other place, like really reminding yourself of the, it's not always a clear domino effect. It's sometimes like a, I don't know, more of a, more of a ripple effect or something. You um, do a lot of speaking, like you are a speaker, which we hadn't touched on yet. And I remember early on in, in getting to know you and like, I followed you on, on LinkedIn. I was like, Whoa, he's like big time. Like he's speaking at this and you're always speaking at something. So how do you find those opportunities? And like, yeah, how has that helped you kind of gain confidence in your space? Well, what's really special is I think people think you need permission to do stuff in life. And I don't think you always do. I think there's times where you can take that initiative yourself and think like, you know what? Yeah, I, I, I can do this, you know, or I will challenge myself to try this and literally like add speaker to your LinkedIn bio. Like that's do one panel or do a presentation to a small niche group that you know, and those events are always looking for people because they're always, you know, they need to sell tickets or they need to build community or build audience. And most people have a fear of public speaking. And I, you know, I think I, I did too. It takes a lot of practice to get to the point where you're comfortable. And like, I, I honestly think today I could, I could probably like wing, wing it and speak for like an hour nonstop on a certain topic just through experience. Yeah. As you, as you start to build that up, like I remember doing a talk at Adobe in San Francisco and being like, so afraid to do it, you know, feeling like I was going to be uncovered as a person who doesn't know anything. And I'm actually like an idiot and I don't, you know, I shouldn't even be here. Like, what am I doing at Adobe? I mean, I, I think I, I lean into humor a little bit and try to just speak from my, like, I mean, it comes back to apex again. Like I'm here to share my story and my perspective and you may not agree with it. And that's totally cool. For me, it's the truth. But then building up over time, like getting invited to, I think there was one, um, one of the big ones that I did a couple of years ago was in Paris. And just like the idea of getting flown out to a conference 
and speaking to a pretty large group, that feeling like sitting on the plane and being like, I am here because somebody wanted to pay for me to be at this event. Like I need to do a great job because well, one, like people are, people came to be entertained. I don't want to flop because that's not going to be good. And I want to continue doing this. So I'm, I want to, I want to do really great. And then hearing feedback afterward or like seeing some activity on Twitter of like, you know, that was like one of the best talks of the week, or that was like, you know, that was the best talk of the, the day or something like that stuff's encouraging. And I definitely hold on to that. And I think Monica, like you said, like your, your screenshots folder, like I keep one myself too. And like revisit it when you're, when you're feeling that, that imposter syndrome a little bit. And then now it's like really not like, I think I've just built up the muscle over, over the years that I'm pretty comfortable with it and uh, want to continue doing it. And, you know, when I was pre pre headspace, I w- was teaching in a college part-time in a graphic design program I don't think I was very good at it. My passion wasn't really there for teaching. There's a lot of baggage that comes with teaching, like grading and marking and a lot of interpersonal stuff and bureaucracy in the schools. So I I realized early that I much prefer this like one-way communication with a quick Q&A and then we're wrapped up and we move on with our lives. Totally. More of a guest lecturer. Yeah. Yeah. Let me just yeah. orate and you can take in my information. <laughs> Just to, yeah. Yeah. With, with zoom it's kind of changed a little bit try to make it more engaging and like utilize some functions like utilize the chat to like prompt people and keep them into it a little bit that's kind of fun but yeah i, I always say like I'll, I'll save teaching for when i'm retired when i'm at the end of my career i didn't need to do it so early in life i think you mentioned in the chat before around like the world i want to see my daughter grow up in and that uh, to be honest i've been thinking about that for days since you brought yeah. it up, I kind of feel two ways about it. Like one, I want to help her build that confidence and resilience and like just walk into the world without a lot of the doubts that people and that women women have. I like, don't even want to plant that idea in her head as soon as she's able to understand that. So we're trying to make that environment that, you know, not that we're, we're constantly praising her, but making sure that, you know, that she will see that, that, you know, she is really smart. She is uh, really capable. Then there's the other side of me that is like, I need to make as much money as possible so that my daughter doesn't have to deal with this bullshit ass world. I don't feel super confident that we're going to get there in time, you know? So I'm kind of like, <laughs> I'm like plan A and plan B and plan B is like, invest, 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 get all the, as much money saved as possible so that she can be supported in life and uh, be able to make decisions that are like truly her own based on passions and not have to worry about how she's going to pay her bills or how, you know, because I think that that leads to a lot of, a lot of the impostery type feelings, feeling like you, you, you need this job or you, you, um, you know. Yeah. I don't see them necessarily as being mutually exclusive. I mean, you're her father, you want obviously the best of all worlds for her. So why can't she be comfortable and also radiate mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. self-confidence and know that she has, right. that she is capable and has, you know, all of the tools that she needs beyond financial means. Yeah. When you take the pressure off of people in that way and allow them to follow their passions more and like truly become themselves, definitely a huge privileged place and position to be in. But it's like, I wish my parents could have done that for me. That's kind of part of uh being the next generation is giving your your kids the, the life, the childhood you wish you had. Not that I had a bad one. I had a great childhood, but I just want hers to be way better. Yeah. And it's, and parenting, I mean, I'm not a parent, so I don't know, but it just sounds so hard because you can, you can do so only so much like in your controlled mm-hmm. environment at home. And then you, she's going out into the world and she's going to school mm-hmm. and she's with other kids or around other parents or teachers. And those subtle hints and clues she gets about how the world works, Mm -hmm. you can't always protect from building confidence, but also like just building the, or instilling in the sense that you can take up space and like your, it's not your job to make sure people are comfortable all the time. And, you know, you can have your own desires. And like, if you, you know, if you don't want to do something, you don't have to, I feel like we grew up where I was like, just be easy. Like, you know, you go to a friend's house and it's like, you don't ask for you know, extra food if you're hungry or like you don't ask for be polite, like being polite equated with being like having no needs. And I think that is like the most damaging thing for women. (laughs) 
growing up. And then it just translates to every part of your life mm. to, from relationships to work, work life, like just not being right. able to state your needs and, and take up space. Well, and always questioning, like, am I being a burden? I've been in situations yeah. where I haven't even wanted mm. trouble someone to ask where the bathroom is because I felt, oh, I just, totally. I, I, I'm fine. I can just, especially if I sense that like the energy is weird in this situation or the other person is already in a bad mood. Like the last thing that I want to do is advocate for myself in that situation. Yeah. That, those are all really great points. And I think I can, I can maybe attribute some of that thinking to, um, Growing up, just being really close with my sister and my mom and seeing, um, you know, how they, they would kind of like make themselves small in certain situations. And uh, even, you know, I remember being a kid and my sister would be would be scared to uh, to call for pizza delivery. You know, like she, she didn't have the confidence to like make the phone call and even order food. I've been scared of that until recently. Yeah. <laughs> Postmates, Postmates really helps. <laughs> I couldn't speak on the phone until I was like 12 or 13 years old. I would make my mom call my friend's house and ask if they were available to talk to me, which like also was like, it sounds kind of badass because it's like, oh, I'm going to have my secretary call you. Yeah, literally. And set up a play date. But in reality, it. it was because I was so terrified of, I don't know if one of like, yeah, feeling like you need a script, like you have to practice the script for exactly what pizza you're ordering. Like, I mean, I still definitely do that. It's like, you're worried about wasting people's, you're worried about wasting people's time sounding stupid. I mean, it's just totally. all that it's, it, it doesn't seem that deep, but I think it is. <laughs> that's funny. I think that's a common experience. I think a lot of people will relate to that. Like hating making appointments for yourself, any kind of calls, just when someone yeah. says, Hey, can you call me really quick? I'm like, Oh my God, it's just huge sense of dread. I hate the phone though. So could be different. No, I agree. <laughs> Should we move into our um, imposter all-star? I don't have mine ready this week. Does anyone else? <laughs> I can I can share mine. One was, uh, so recently, uh, having gone through performance review cycle, kind of that time of year, and I think we can be like our own worst enemy and, and the self-doubt really creeps in around that time. I knew I had a conversation coming up soon with my boss around this, and it sent me into a little bit of a whirlwind of like checking calendars and event and and meeting events and things and trying to like piece together this story that like I don't know that like like well I don't know what I was thinking like I was about to get fired last week or something you know like you just sort of you make the story up that you're performing poorly and then I get to the day of so that was my imposter moment and then I get to the the day of actually having my performance review and I'm being told that I'm exceeding expectations and that, you know, I'm actually doing really great at my job and they see a really bright future for me in this role and beyond. I had to look at myself in the mirror and be like, you got to stop doing that. You're, you're, this is, you can't be your own worst enemy in that way. Like you got to stop with the, the negative self-talk sometimes. And just that was, that was really recent, but um, yeah, that's my, that's my imposter all-star moment. Well, congratulations. First of all, like, Thanks. Yeah, congrats. And that's the exact thing that remember when we had Melinda on, she that's that was her moment, her exact mm -hmm. imposter. She convinced herself she was getting fired, like convinced herself she was getting fired and that she had to change careers and then she got promoted. So <laughs> that's yeah. yeah. That's and in the span of like a week, it's like yeah. it's yeah. crazy how much we believe these wild stories and it really only takes like one little thought to latch onto that then just completely snowballs out of control. And all of a sudden you're on LinkedIn being like, should I respond to that recruiter? Like, would I even get that job? Like, <laughs> you've got crazy. a plan B. Glad, glad to know that. I mean, sorry for you. Glad to know that we're not the only people who yeah, do that. Totally. <laughs> it's a shared, you it's a shared experience. I can give an, I can give an imposter moment. I've been trying to do a better job at, kind of auditing meetings on my calendar and evaluating where I'm really a necessary stakeholder and, and turning down invitations where I, I just don't think that I will play that significant a role. And I feel like my time is better spent working on the tasks that I have to do for whatever feature I'm doing. And I still have a very hard time with doing that. I, I appreciate that I'm afforded the freedom to turn down meetings and I'm 
I've never even been questioned of, you know, why weren't you in this? I saw it like, why can't you come to this meeting? But it's just internally, I feel this pressure to say yes to everything still and to be present in everything. And even though I know obviously that's the quickest road to burnout, it's still a tough conversation to, to have with myself and basically to be the one convincing myself that my time is better spent elsewhere as opposed to having someone else give me permission. So I guess I'll just make that my imposter and my all-star this week because I did definitely like turn down some meetings and have that time better spent in Android land. It's still something that I'm working through. I have some, I guess, all-star moments we can call them. And one includes you, Monica, because we were asked to be on the women's panel for women's Women's History Month. Right. Uh, I, I forget what I always forget what it's called. Women's History Month. We're in Women's History Month. Yes. Happy Women's History Month, everyone. Um, but yeah, Monica mm-hmm. and I were asked to speak on a panel moderated by our CEO at Headspace and for the whole company. So that's uh, and it was in large part because of this podcast. So that feels really great to be acknowledged like that by the company and to be able to talk to everyone about our experiences. So wait, it hasn't happened yet, be awesome. though, right? Did I miss it? <laughs> no, no, it's on Tuesday. Next oh, Tuesday. okay, good. <laughs> I'll be there. Yeah, good, good. Uh, it's early. I got I'll have to wake myself up. And then my other one is that I was asked to be a mentor. So I, I teach middle school students, middle school girls at the school that I went to for middle school, a small unit on app development. And two girls from last semester that I taught emailed me to ask if I could be their mentor for um, this technovation girls in tech competition. They're using the platform. I taught them on how to build apps and they're building their own app focused on helping people on helping young girls with depression. And like, it has a really great mission and I'm helping them, you know, kind of just mentoring them through getting it to work and everything. But I just like my, it was, it was so heartwarming to be asked to do that with them and and that they actually retained something that I taught them. So that was really cool. (laughs) Cause sometimes I just feel like I'm Speak it into a void mm-hmm. and no one is listening. Yeah. Well, oh. Frank, this was amazing. I think hopefully we can get some more men to listen to this podcast or be uh, on this podcast. This <laughs> I think we've, I think we've scared them off a little bit, but, um, <laughs> but no, I think you gave some super valuable advice and just perspective on how to maybe like think twice about how you show up to work and uh, show up for your female co- uh, colleagues. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Episode 10. Amazing. Whoop. You're doing a great Episode job. Episode 10. <laughs> hey, we did it. Thank you, Frank. Can't wait for the, the, the women's event uh, next week. Looking forward to it. Oh, yeah. yes. Oh, you can hype us up in the comments and it won't be fake. It won't be toxic. Yeah, no, it's not performative. It's not toxic positivity. <laughs> it's the real deal. Authentic positivity. I love it. All right. Well, thank you so much. And thank you everyone for uh, tuning in and listening. We'll see you next week.